Coochie gang, coochie gang, coochie gang, coochie gang, coochie gang, coochie gang, coochie gang. Some of you don't know the name, but that's that guy from the Hunger Games. Transformers, the last night. Beauty and the Beast and Spotlight. Writer and director of Big Night. Coochie gang. Hello and welcome to another episode of Standing Stanley Tucci. I'm Hannah. I'm David. Uh, today we're looking at a film from 1994 called Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle, which is all about the Algonquin Round Table, an intellectual society uh, that formed during Prohibition at the Algonquin Hotel in New York with all of the writers and thinkers and humorists uh, of the time, uh, the most prominent ones anyway, uh, sitting around a table and getting drunk off their ass and making sex jokes with each other. <laughs> and uh, Tucci is in it somewhere. <laughs> if you squint. If you um, squint, you, can, yeah, you may be this, able to find him. I, I will say, this is like a like two-hour movie, basically. Yeah. And Tucci does not come in until the very, very last moments. I really started to movie. worry that I had missed him <laughs> at one of these big parties, because almost every scene in this thing, mind you, is... 16 different actors, all white men, mostly, right. and a few women, just sitting around a round table and the camera just panning across them as they say, like, one line, and then they're never seen from again in the movie. Because they're trying right. to get, they're trying to, like, make it feel like you're part of this round table, um, mm-hmm. part of this, you know, intellectual vicious circle society, um, mm-hmm. that you're a writer for The New Yorker, in fact. <laughs> Um, uh, or for Vanity Fair, I guess. Right. But you're not. Uh, so you're just kind of listening to them say things that probably made sense in 1922 or something. But right. That, but that don't really. The jokes don't really land as much uh, no, today. Not at all. They. <laughs> I I watched this with uh, someone else, and they just kept. They just kept going. I'm sorry. What did those people just saying? say? Like, yeah, it's I stuff like um, this is. I had so, to watch with subtitles. Exactly. So the main character is uh, Dorothy Parker, um, mm-hmm. who is a real life poet, uh, playwright, critic, theory critic, writer, columnist person. They're all like columnists, um, but they're just sort of intellectual ish writers of the time um mm-hmm. but uh, so she talks in a very affected way she's played by jennifer jason lee and this is like one of her most respected roles i think more interesting um, more prestigious roles i don't know that for a fact it it definitely has a little bit of like a academy like yes kind of oscar Beatty history yeah. piece uh, it's it's an Altman. It's you know Robert Altman produced it. You know it's supposed to be kind of like, look at this. We're talking about things, but in a very, uh, a very prestige kind of way, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's all about New York and how great New York is. So that's that's where I think, you know, Tucci comes into it because he's got that <laughs> New York pride right down in his soul. And any movie that's pro New York, it's pro Tucci, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and you know, and it 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 goes bi coastal. You know, it's got the New York and it's got a little LA. It's got a little Hollywood too. 
Uh, I guess it's a little it's a little Hollywood at the end but but like the feeling of like oh you're in the Algonquin Hotel it's a place that has history and a kind of you know metropolitan sort of uh, you know upper class history an intellectual history a dramatic history it's an actor's sort of film as well because they talk a lot about the theater and Ibsen and whoever (laughs) else was writing you know and performing at that time Mm-hmm. Um, and what it's like to be a producer of theater in that time and to be an actor in the theater at that time. So it's very much right up his alley. Um, mm-hmm. Although that's not the only reason that uh, that he appears in it. Uh, I think he has a connection in the form of the Jennifer Jason Lee's co-star Campbell Scott, who was mm-hmm. one of his closest friends growing up, and they acted together multiple times uh, on stage. And so I want to say that there was this role... An incidental role in a film that Campbell Scott was cast in because he kind of looks like the real life Robert Benchley. Um, he did and a pretty good job, I would say. Campbell Scott did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he feels very of the time. Uh, yeah. But in any case, uh, yeah, he he definitely seems to fit right in with his little mustache. Um, <laughs> and while while Scott and Tucci do not interact on screen, I, I I like to think that there's a little bit of interaction behind the scenes in terms of casting. And you know who'd be good for this, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of that going on. So we didn't... It's hard to sort of describe the plot, I know, because we're sort of talking about it in circles. And it is a circle. And the plot <laughs> is circular as well. So... To just sort of describe the feeling of it, why don't we go with that? The feeling of the story. It's like girls set in the 1920s, <laughs> but it's all white dudes instead of white girls. I guess that's uh, that's kind of a way to think about it. Yeah, they're all writers. Yeah, they're depressed. Um, yeah, they're drunks. <laughs> they, all make, they all make awful life decisions. Right, and it's a lot about sex. It's uh, yeah. about the sexual life of Dorothy Parker through mm-hmm. her depression. Um, and the well, fact but that's that, what she wrote about a lot, you know. Right. Um, I haven't read anything of Dorothy Parker, oh. so I was not prepared to to comment on <laughs> her poetry or her her writing. I mean, I I haven't read a ton of hers, and uh, but I did. A I've more read of what other her. people said about you. <laughs> that's what all oh the gosh. act. That's what all the characters in this movie that's, say. No, that this is the we gotta give a call out to freaking. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Playing Charles MacArthur. As like this little Midwestern heartthrob who sweeps her off her feet. And like, it's it's very strange. Yeah, well, she, she gets swept off her feet well. uh, multiple times, usually by married men. And she, yes. you know, she self-referentially refers to that. And, you know, while she's smoking a cigarette or taking a drink of something and just being like, I... I only fall for married men, and perhaps it's because of my fascination with with drinking and and my but, own self interest. Um, I'm not doing a very like, good impression, but okay. But like the insane mid Atlantic accent that happens in this movie, like it's next level. You know, apparently there was a, I did a little research and there was a cut of the movie. Uh, that had to be reshot because people literally could not understand what she was saying at all. (laughs) 
Right. But that is that is if you listen to recordings um, of her specifically or from that era, that is okay. kind of how they talked in New York in those kind of upper class circles. That yeah, it's that mid Atlantic accent. I I totally get it. But it's just like The elites. You can't the language of the elites. You you gotta be a little bit more comprehensible. Right. But I mean we were saying earlier that like basically every scene is just like a bunch of people talking over each other, one upping each other with jokes. And yeah. I think it's kind of cyclical like that. You'll have a scene like that and then you'll have a scene of Dorothy Parker drinking alone and being depressed because she just had sex with a guy and he doesn't love her. Uh, right. And, you know, the jokes, they they are difficult to understand and they don't really land. Uh, just some examples. It'll be Dorothy Parker will say something like, I never liked a man I didn't meet. Or um, someone will say like, oh yes, I've never, I've never had sex before. And someone will be like, well, this calls for celebration. Right. Because it's like celibate. Um, it's a lot of puns and wordplay. Punning like, and one-upping and, uh, you know, why, why, you know, why, Edna, you look like a man. You almost look like a man. Ah, uh, so do you, sir. You know, right. and she's talking to a man, you know, just like all of these just sort of snappy things, Clap but they acts. just feel like out of, you know, a, an older screenplay, a much older screenplay, which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the fucking 20s. <laughs> and these were the people who wrote a lot of the old screenplays that we get the, <laughs> that banter from. Uh, right. You know, Dorothy Parker is perhaps best known today for writing, uh, helping write the script for A Star is Born. Yeah. Uh, yep. Which features briefly at the end of the film, when we cut from her time in Prohibition era New York writing for The New Yorker and Vanity Fair and stuff, and then we cut to... The 50s, where uh, she's accepting, you know, awards for writing in in Hollywood, and she's debased herself by resorting to Hollywood, I think is sort of mm-hmm. the implication. Um, would you take it that way as well? Um, well, no, she gets the award for, like, her... Right, she gets her, a Peabody for her... Yeah, right. for her short stories and whatnot. Right, um, but I, I mean, uh, I believe yes. Best Screenplay also went to uh, A Star is Born in that... It did, yes. In that time. Yes. So, I'm just saying, like, her prestige going to, to baseless Hollywood, you know, tomfoolery. Yeah. Uh, and she seems to hate that. And I think we're supposed to hate it too. We're supposed to think of it as base and uh, and crass and not real intellectual work. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think she certainly views it that way. You know, um, she's definitely a woman with strong opinions. That is made very clear <laughs> yeah. um, throughout the the film. Um, and she says at one point, you know, like. Not everything is art, and I shan't have any of this modernist nonsense that <laughs> art belongs to the masses. Which is interesting, because she was apparently, like, very socialist, and, like, very left-wing. It is It is a kind of socialism, but it's a socialism of the intellectual, upper-crust sort of type, where it doesn't really matter you know, what, uh, what the masses say, because they've been corrupted by propaganda. Mm. Um, we are the, you know, the people who stand above the, uh, the, you know, the lowly, uh, non-intellectual socialists, the, the right. unionists and the workers' partyists. 
The plebs. The plebs. <laughs> um, Though, you know, it, it does seem like she she becomes more, uh, you know, that that's something that, that happens to her more and more throughout life. And I think, uh, you know, life, life brings you a little bit closer to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly oh, I think she. Her. I think she definitely becomes more associated with the kinds of progressive causes that I think we like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she famously left her estate to Martin Luther King Jr. when she yeah. passed, whatever it was worth. I don't. I don't know. But she was yeah. very uh, involved with um, you know anti segregationists and uh, and civil rights activists uh, in the in the late fifties. She also contributed to the Spanish Civil War, which is pretty. Like, oh right. Yeah, like, they did mention that right at the badass. end. Badass. So, you know, th- one of the interesting things that they're doing is, uh, in, from a filmmaking perspective, is they put all of the modern scenes in black and white and all of mm-hmm. the older scenes not in black and white. Yeah, because... it's because the 20s were so colorful, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and because w- as we move into a Hollywood aesthetic, you know, Hollywood takes over the visual representation of art but art before then was all color spreads in the New Yorker magazine and, you know, painted mm-hmm. covers and whatnot. And it, it feels fresh. And, you know, also all the title cards and stuff were in the New Yorker font, you know. Right. And it's, it's very, it's supposed to be very nostalgic. But, you know, as people, as plebs ourselves who don't read the New Yorker. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, I have loyally subscribed to The New Yorker oh, well. since since moving here. Well, I, I find it to be a lot of pretentious claptrap, uh, my... David. Uh, <laughs> David, you, you know what The New Yorker is, right? What is it? It's more subscribed to than read. <laughs> no one reads The New Yorker. <laughs> you just get it. That's the, that's like the kind of line that would appear in this movie. What, no, right. one, no one reads The New Yorker, mind you. Yeah. Mind you. Um, all right, so let's quit beating around the bush and let's let's talk about how, uh, how Tucci appears uh, yes. briefly at the end. So this is after we've put... This woman through hell, through a relationship and and failed pregnancy and and trauma and turmoil and and the alcoholism. one man she she truly loved passes away before she has a chance to say goodbye. Right, and then we we cut to the future when uh, when he's passed and mm-hmm. she is just getting a drink in a bar with her I... her dog that she carries around. I do um, love that she's not a crazy cat lady. She's a crazy yeah. dog lady. It's yeah, that's great. real life right there. Um, tiny dogs for depressed women. Um, <laughs> tiny dogs for depressed women is an incredible memoir title. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, she walks into a bar and on the TV, A Star is Born is playing. And ah, you can see at yeah. the bar, there's this guy who uh, is apparently Fred Hunter, um, who is... Also a, a real person. Everyone in this movie is a real person. There's so many, so few, like, composite characters or fake characters. Because they just wanted to give everyone a part. Um, yeah. And it's Tooch. And he's wearing a nice, dapper little suit. Uh, you know, very 60s look. And he just is like, well, that, that's Dottie Parker. I know her. Uh, and goes over to her Hollywood, and is like, together in Hollywood. You may not remember me, but we used to work together. I was in a film of yours. Um, and he's just being very polite, and she's just like, I don't, I don't know what's happening or where I am. 
Well, but I don't being... like you, and I don't like Hollywood. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, he he's being polite, but he's also definitely clearly trying to get her to, like, talk him up in front of these girls yeah, and yeah, kind yeah. of, like, you know, impress them with all of his Hollywood connections. Right. I did like um, the line where he says, you know, I, I got cut out of the film. And then it's like, yeah. well, if the screenplay is uh, actually got produced, I probably got cut out too, honestly. <laughs> uh, or something like that. It's like, yeah, her work is no longer in the finished product either. <laughs> um, and then she says, happily I'm away from Hollywood now. Yes. <laughs> she doesn't like it there. And she references um, um the the blacklist for uh yes. for people in Hollywood saying mm-hmm. like the director went to jail for that movie for being an American in the US of A. Mm-hmm. Um and then Tucci just kind of hints at it too, like he doesn't want to say the blacklist or the communist right. thing. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you mean because of the uh yeah. That <laughs> so it's a like, subtle yes. performance and it's a bit part, it's a real bit. But, but he does good. Yeah, I, I, I think he's, I think he's a, a, a charming way to sort of end the film. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's an important part, I think. The guy who recognizes you from the old world. It's in a lot That's... of these biopics that are right. depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just like. It's, it's interesting because. Um, you know, Tucci has played a lot of villains in these past few That's movies. True. Yeah. But like he himself is so charming yes. that I feel like he accidentally makes these villains like very charming. Right. You know? So when he's actually like, trying to play charming, it comes across very natural and uh Yes. And not not exactly forgettable, but almost like no. it just sort of washes over you and, and it's right. just a little bow on it. Right, but, you know, I think anyone else playing this part would have come off as a lot more sleazy, as a yes, lot more abrasive, right. um, and he, it's just water off a duck's back, you know? You just, <laughs> like, mm, a glass of tooch, it's good. Right. Um, I, I feel like we have to dedicate a whole section of this pod to uh, Whomst We Also, because okay. it's, such big, it's such a big cast that... <laughs> There may sure. be debates or 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 conflicts onto whom whomst we should also stand uh, yeah. for this one. So, were there any parts that uh, that popped out to you of like, oh, we we simply must stand? I mean, I I do love a Campbell Scott. He's like so yeah. understated in his acting. He's not in a lot of stuff, no. or maybe he is, but like. He's been in a bunch of random things that I've seen, you know? And just, right. like, every time he's on screen, I'm just like, who are you? Right. And I've most like... appreciated him with the Amazing Spider-Man movies, with his brief cameo as Papa Parker, Daddy Parker. Yeah. Um, he's good as Daddy Parker. Where he gives the sort of, you know, <laughs> the the fatherly advice and then dies and then maybe comes back. <laughs> And maybe? it maybe was a cut scene and didn't really belong in the movie. Uh, but whatever, mm-hmm. that's the Spider-Man franchise, and that's what I love about it. Um, <laughs> but is it, was there any other films that you saw him in that you thought, wow, what a great... Uh, or any TV spots? Um, I mean, I... I did like him in House of Cards, you know? Uh, yeah, like, yeah. say what you will about House of Cards and, 
all he was of he that. came in for the last season, right? That was his. No, no, he was in it before. He was like the one of the many like political advisors. Like started out as like a lawyer or consultant or something, and then ended up as a part of the team by the end. Um, yeah. Well, for me, for me personally, mm-hmm. it's Wallace Shawn is absolutely my my I stand him so much. Wallace Who Shawn. is Wallace Shawn? That that hurts me. It hurts me right here. Oh, I know who it is. He's it's the nebbish. He's he's the inconceivable guy. Everyone yes. knows him as the inconceivable uh, uh, guy. Um, Physig uh, Physig. Yeah. No, he's Vincini. Physig is the is the Andre the Giant. You're right. He's Vincini. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten his name in uh, The Princess Bride, where he... Oh, do you really his, stand him then? No. That's his I- iconic <laughs> role. Uh, but I love him in so many other things. Um, you know, he's famous for My Dinner with Andre as well. Um, yes. But you, if you're less of an intellectual like me, you might just know him <laughs> as Rex from the Toy Story movies. Um, yes. Or otherwise for, you know, plenty of other voice acting roles. Because he's such an iconic voice. And in this yeah. film, he plays just, like, the waiter that keeps getting shat on by everybody. And he's just yeah, like, so there will only be five one. of you dining tonight? And then, like, 16 <laughs> other people come and he's like, okay, so this is it, right? Like, just the put-upon uh, server it, character and, um, I guess, more of a so- maitre d'. Yeah, it's so funny because it feels like this is a um is this like a role or a joke that would work really excellently on stage, you know? You say like it so. feels like such No, it feels like such a theater thing where it's like, "Okay, you're all good." And then like, you know, you just start piling more and more <laughs> actors on like I, like it's so physical and immediate that like you need that kind of like collective recognition right. of the absurdity of well, it. Well, I also moment. just like it when he says, you know, I was the one who had the idea for the round table. Because he yeah. rolls in this big circular table for all of these Algonquin guests. Um, and yeah. he's also the one who's always hounding uh, Dorothy Parker for her rent. Um, mm. I hope your theater debut goes well. <laughs> Three months late on rent. Yikes. Um, so he's great. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to Martha Plimpton, who plays Jane Grant, one of the co-founders of The New Yorker, with her husband, Harold Ross. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Martha Plimpton, you may know from Goonies, but uh, but I really connected with her in uh, Raising Hope, uh, which is a short-lived sitcom um, that she starred in and and won some awards for, and... uh, I think, uh, yeah, she's, you know, she's great. She's an activist for, um, you know, women's rights and abortion rights um, Mm -hmm. and very outspoken. And and she just, you know, she gives a great performance here, but it's it's very background-y because there's just so many. It's a huge So many people. Another person who's in this, Gwyneth Paltrow. Right, but I don't stand her at all. I don't stand her a single bit, but she is in it, and but, she just plays like the slutty actress, which who just, I think like, wants to sleep with everyone. Which, not that I'm saying that she is a slutty actress, but I think she's perfectly cast in that role. Yes. So I don't want this to be taken out of context. I do not <laughs> think that Gwyneth Paltrow is a slutty actress. I do think that she can play one 
with aplomb that yes. as somebody who is just catty and always shitting on Dorothy Parker, <laughs> she is so believable in that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting because, um, you know, we watched uh, her as Emma recently yes. for for talking tropes right and you know this felt like a very similar kind of role you know like upper crust like right. catty drama like oh darling you're wearing that <laughs> right um and Matthew uh broderick we mentioned is in this uh um, yes but I, I also Gallagher. don't care for matthew broderick's acting ever in any situation that's that's fair that's just me um peter gallagher is in this yes. um he i i know him most recently from uh um grace and frankie he plays uh oh. jane fonda's like uh, new love interest I see. um and he he's very young and very attractive right. in this movie. And uh, as for film connections, uh, we have Jennifer Beals, who mm-hmm. uh, plays uh, Gertrude Benchley, Robert Benchley's, uh, you know, uh, sort of like boring, non-intellectual wife, who mm-hmm. is so not the right fit for her, for him, but Dorothy Parker is. But Jennifer Beals, you may remember from In the Soup, uh, mm-hmm. Where she played the love interest for uh, Steve Buscemi, um, in a little yeah. interesting role. I, I I think it's a big cast. It's a lot of white it's people. Huge. <laughs> so many fucking white people who, especially in like the period costumes, and like they're all yeah. constantly wearing like hats. Yes. So like you just can't tell who anyone fucking is. <laughs> it's it, it, and they're all speaking again in these like indecipherable mid-Atlantic accents right. half the time. It's, it's just a lot. Right. And, uh, you know, if you look up tr- trivia for for this film, you'll know that the son of Robert Benchley, Peter Benchley, has a brief cameo in no. the film even. So it's going for this, like, hey, you know, everybody's here. Everybody knows somebody. You know, Wallace Shawn, he's a real-life socialist. He's a real-life intellectual guy. He's a playwright. And his dad wrote for the New Yorker, was an editor for the New Yorker, or something like that. You know, mm. it's we're, the gang's all here, and everyone's just talking over each other, and it's like an experimental, like, how do you do a scene where everyone gets a line? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not very entertaining, to me at least. No. It was not a particularly entertaining movie. It was interesting, and it did very make me curious about, like, yeah, who all these people the, actually were. Reading about <laughs> the Algonquin like, Roundtable and how all yeah. their lives have all this complexity. But I think the choice to make it just about Dorothy Parker is an odd one. Because yeah. she doesn't really grow a lot or change mm. that much. She gets into a vicious circle, a cycle of self-abuse and drinking and trying to you know, feed her depression with sex. And mm-hmm. then being becoming angry because the men are not treating her as a real person. Right. Um, and she just sort of ends up spiraling in that forever. Yeah. And never breaking out of it. And there's not much plot for that reason. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Have you anything to add? Yeah, it definitely just kind of wanders through her life. Um I I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I think uh, mm. a a book 
<laughs> about right. the it lives of these people. It makes me want to read a book about the life of Dorothy Parker or, right. or Robert Benchley or... Right. Um, Which, you know, you know maybe... Maybe that was the goal of this movie. Maybe Definitely Edna just... Ferber. I thought she yeah. she seems like an interesting character. Yeah. One of these uh, one of these never I came like... out lesbians or asexuals who just never ever has Very recorded Gertrude Stein. sexual experience with anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm interested. Very very Gertrude Stein esque in, right. in certain ways. Um, um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we've sold you on this film unintentionally uh, with all the things that we didn't like about it, but that's all I've got to say about it. Yeah. Um, if we did sell you, tweet at us at Talking Tropes. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kidding. It's time for Do Tucci News. Woo! Uh, yeah, we thought uh, in honor of Dorothy Parker and the idea that, uh, you know, marriage. Is uh, is marriage is what brings us together today? Right, um, more Princess Bride, um, but you know, behind every great man, there's a a great woman, and we haven't spoken too much about uh, Tucci's relationship with uh, his his wife, uh, his 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 second wife, uh, uh, Felicity Blunt, sister of Emily Blunt. Um, and so we thought we would read this this little write-up uh, from HollywoodLife.com yeah. and see what you guys um, think. So this is uh, Felicity Blunt, everything to know about Stanley Tucci's wife and Emily Blunt's sister. And uh, this was written by Aaron Sylvia. So thank you, Aaron, for, for standing the fam. <laughs> yeah. You know, not just the Tooch, but also the fam. Uh, David, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, so, just to begin, <laughs> Stanley Tucci, 60, is one of the most talented actors in Hollywood, and he's a glorious leading lady by his side every day to enjoy his success. The Hunger Games star is celebrating his ninth wedding anniversary with his wife, Felicity Tucci, this summer, making them one of the strongest couples in the entertainment industry. That's the sad. <laughs> The devoted spouses also share two children, including son Mateo, six, and daughter Amelia, three, together helping to further strengthen their bond. Um, Tucci's an old dad. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of them old dads. <laughs> um, yeah, so Felicity is actually uh, Tucci's second wife. His yes. first wife, Kate Tucci, died of cancer in 2009. Right. Um, but, you know, he says that his second wife helps him fulfill his first wife's wish of not wallowing in that grief and instead mm. finding happiness in his life once again. Well, I, I always want him to be happy. Um, I mean, don't we all? So here are some of the, the key questions that, uh, that they'd like to talk about. How did Stanley yes. and Felicity meet? Of course, we know this. Uh, <laughs> Emily Blunt actually helped them make their connection because Stanley mm -hmm. and Felicity met at Emily's wedding to John Krasinski. Um, Which took place at George Clooney's lake house. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, it's Hollywood. Everybody, you know, knows each other. Everyone's worked with All each right. other, um, especially Tucci. <laughs> right. Um, um, you know, and of course, Tucci ends up marrying Felicity about two years later. 
And this is the Tucci fun fact of the week. Steve Buscemi was Stanley Tucci's best man at his second wedding. How fun. I love it. They're besties. (laughs) Right. Um, So Felicity Blunt uh, is originally from England. That's why they live in London now. Uh, Mm -hmm. She works there as a literary agent uh, Mm -hmm. at Curtis Brown. And she works mm-hmm. on cookbooks, thrillers, suspense, crime, and historical and literary fiction, which may have been helpful or useful in the uh, the food memoir that Tucci has written, which is coming out, I think, later this year. Yes, um, and and they co-wrote a cookbook together as well. Oh, I you know, see. Like That's they, great. yeah, they, you know, she she's connected. He's connected. It all it makes sense. Um, uh, another fun fact, uh, I don't know how, well, I don't know how fun it is, <laughs> but another fact is that she, uh, met Stanley's late wife, Kate, before Kate passed away. They met at a movie premiere for The Devil Wears Prada, because right. Felicity was in that movie. Um, no, Emily was. And, or Emily, excuse me, Emily was in that movie. Yeah. Felicity's not in movies. <laughs> right. But that's why uh-huh. Tucci was at emily's wedding we're telling this right. whole story out of order but it's okay That's how the so is the article so is the article <laughs> <laughs> um and there's apparently a picture of the two of them together which i think is very interesting and a little spooky and then here we have the uh the the co-authored cookbook that you mentioned earlier which is uh yeah. of course called the 2g table cooking with mm-hmm. family and friends which they released in 2014 uh, one of Stanley's videos in which he makes a Negroni for Felicity went viral. We all remember we this. We talked about the Negroni <laughs> video, we know. And uh, Felicity Blunt also uses her own social media to rave about authors she works with and her husband's work and accomplishments, including the release of his memoir, Taste My Life Through Food, which is coming out in October, October 5th. So uh. very exciting. Um, yeah, maybe this whole social media campaign to like make him sexy again, and maybe even the whole uh, Italy show was just to promote this book, book, which is truly the culmination of his entire life. Yeah, um, yeah. His life through food, in fact. His life through food. So that is basically everything I know about Felicity Blunt. Uh, <laughs> But she seems nice. They seem to have a loving relationship, and uh, they're a power couple. For they're a sure. power couple. Yeah, in London, in London in town. London. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that's all we have for this week, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let us know if you have a special connection to uh, Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle. Uh, this strange sort of film. Yeah, I, if anyone stands this movie, right. I'd be fascinated to know. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see if it's anyone's favorite movie, given uh, that it requires a sort of familiarity with the Algonquin Roundtable, I think, to truly appreciate it. Yeah. So, like, what kind of life are you living where you're obsessively reading, you know, <laughs> uh, the the works of, uh, of 1920 columnists? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let us know let us know yeah and who's yeah, your favorite new sure. yorker writer today and will yeah. they be the subject of a vicious circle years from now do, 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 do. It's, all right we'll never know i'll see you guys next week with another um, talking tropes bye bye bye
Some of you don't know the name, Toots. but that's that guy from the Hunger Games. Toots. Transformers, The Last Night. Beauty and the Beast and Spotlight. Toots. Writer and director of Big Night. Toots. 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 To